Hey there, it's Henry Parrish. It's Monday, March 5th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. And uh, let me first apologize for the lack of a Sunday night podcast. I believe this is the first time all season that we haven't had a Sunday night podcast, or at the very least, a Sunday afternoon podcast. But I was traveling to New York last night, and Norlander was at the Big Ten Tournament title game at Madison Square Garden. So the timing just did not work out. But here we are now, and let's just start with the Big Ten Tournament where uh, Michigan beat Iowa. Uh, Nebraska, Michigan State, and Purdue to win the first and possibly last Big Ten tournament at Madison Square Garden. So that's back-to-back Big Ten tournament titles for John Beeline. You were there, Norlander. What were your impressions of the Big Ten tournament in New York City? You know, GP, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I thought about uh, right before we got on the podcast. I almost never do this, but let me let me just let me hit the tennis ball right back at you before I give you my impressions of the week. What is your thoughts on? Sure, the results of the tournament itself, but as someone who wasn't at the Garden and wasn't in the city, what were your impressions of this entire experiment, if if you will, with the Big Ten deciding to do what it did the way that it did it? It looked great on TV. Um, you know, the, the, it looked like a big-time sporting event. And I think that's just – I think the Garden has a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if you couldn't put basically any Power 5 league tournament inside Madison Square Garden every once in a while and just – turn it into an event because it felt bigger because it was at the garden. Um, The other thing I would say is that I know the condensed schedule um, was problematic and the coaches were not fans of that. And I don't even think Jim Delaney, the big 10 commissioner was a fan of that, of that, but I do think it's worth something. I don't know what, but, and I don't know if it's worth enough, but being the only thing on, uh, you know, Friday night, for instance, it felt like the whole college basketball world was watching Purdue Rutgers. Everybody was tweeting about Purdue Rutgers. If you fast forward a week and put Purdue Rutgers, that same game on this coming up Friday night, well, you've also got an ACC game going on and an SEC game going on and a Big 12 game going on. How many people are really watching Purdue Rutgers? But everybody's watching Purdue Rutgers on Friday night because what else was there to watch, at least in the world of college basketball? So I, I – I thought it looked great on TV. I think the garden added to it, made it feel bigger. The games were the games, whatever. But I I actually think if I were running the Big Ten or another Power Five league, I would be intrigued by the value of just having your um, your Power Five league tournament operate a week earlier than everybody else's because so, you're not overshadowing each other. You've got a stage basically to yourself. Yeah, I'll get to all the Michigan winning uh, and stuff like that in, in a minute. But uh, here's I'm with you on this, Parrish, because I couldn't – I couldn't uh, watch the tournament from the same perspective as you could. And so from where, what I was dealing with, you know, being at the arena, talking with coaches, writing about the games and tracking it, I don't have any sort of perspective from the outside world the way that you did in the way that pretty much almost everyone listening to this podcast could. And I know that Jim Delaney has already said, we're not going to do this again. I heard back from the coaches. They didn't like the crunch schedule. We had to move a lot of stuff here in order to make this happen. I get that. That's totally valid. And... Uh, from a competitive standpoint, I will be interested to see the teams from this league that get into the tournament, how they perform. Um, I don't think the Big Ten was down this season because of this, though. You might hear a little bit of that coming. I think if the if the schedule had been ha- like it always is and the Big Ten tournament was played in Indianapolis the week that it normally gets played, I still think you would have had the Big Ten play out mostly the way that it did. But, man, there is just... An opening here, and you said what I was going to say, with the Big Ten or any other major conference, 
you would want to consider it if you could if you could massage the schedule and remember uh, starting next season. I, I know it's only a few days, but days matter within a four month schedule here. The regular season is going to start just a little bit earlier for college basketball. If you could get your schedule the way that you just wanted it, and you want to take this chance, if you will, and and certainly in doing that, now you're going to have the long wait for the NCAA tournament. I talked to Matt Painter about that after the loss, and he said, you know, people make too much of that. Like, maybe it'll mean something, but it's just one of those things where just people are going to talk about it because it's something obvious to talk about. I really don't know if it'll have any true impact on, on winning or losing. And, and he and other coaches have cited how Gonzaga, like WCC tournament, uh, has is a Monday night final before Selection Sunday, and then you're waiting a week and a half. And Gonzaga's had plenty of success in the tournament despite all that. So you've got a real opportunity here to get – podcast discussions, front and center on television. The Purdue-Rutgers note you made is a tremendous one, and part of that's because Rutgers used to be in the Big East, and then it was a 14 seed, and then it was playing out of its mind, and it becomes like a fun little side story. There's no doubt about it. This was a huge win for the Big Ten, and fortunately for the league, it came in a year, again, when the league was down. I understand that Purdue and Michigan State – uh, and now really Michigan are all seen as viable Final Four threats, and the league was top-heavy. But beyond that, Ohio State's been a nice story. A lot of people don't think the Buckeyes are uh, a real threat to get to San Antonio. And then you take a level even below that, and there's just a lot of a lot of nothing there in terms of national interest and uh, widespread uh, competitiveness from the Big Ten. So you got the tournament in a year where it needed it most. It would have been a complete afterthought. Next next week. I mean, it would have been just kind of in mixed in with everyone else. So it is worth at least discussing. Do you want to try and do this again if you're the Big Ten or another major conference? Or if you're the Big Ten, how far out is your soonest po- uh, opportunity to get the tournament in Barclays? And I get that Midwest fans really don't like the tournament in New York City. I had coaches say on and off the record, they loved it. All the players loved it. and And this was more like... This wasn't like me asking, like, hey, you know, you pee in New York City, but it's like, oh, like the boilerplate stuff. No, they loved getting to do this. Pretty much every Big Ten official I spoke with really enjoyed this opportunity. And Barclays Center isn't Madison Square Garden, but it is still in New York City. So it would not surprise me if they if the Big Ten never goes a week early again. But if there's an opportunity in a window three, five, seven years from now, if the Big Ten tries to get into Barclays and try and do this, it will not replicate it because – I'm really not trying to sound like some sort of East Coast <laughs> blowhard or anything like that. Because I actually have I've sometimes thought the garden is just a smidge overrated. But it, it just undeniably, because of the location of the city, um, you have so much sidewalk alumni. And just alumni in general that will move to this area that can fill up the building. I mean, Michigan was incredible. The amount of fans it brought there. So um, results aside, it was a huge win for this conference to get this much exposure. And I am skeptical that any sort of 11 or 12 day layoff is going to have real impact on tournament performance. I bet we get to the second weekend and we see that some Big Ten teams have broken through, others haven't. There will be many other factors that go into whether they win or lose in the NCAA tournament. I'm with you completely on that point. Um, I don't think the layoff will have any impact one way or another. I mean, there will be a Big Ten team that advances deep into the tournament, and it'll be because they were rested up. And then there'll be a Big Ten team that gets bounced early in the tournament, and it'll be because they were rusty. They've been off too long. It's whatever. Um, There are things like this that people um, often say. They they assign it one way or another, and yet there's examples to to contradict 
any any point you try to make, there's an example to contradict it. And Gonzaga last year was an obviously great example. Wichita State a few years ago, great example. George Mason several years ago, great example. Like the reason schools that play their conference tournaments a week early don't normally go to the Final Four because they're from leagues that don't normally provide Final Four teams. Uh, but the idea, like. Uh, like, let's just talk about Duke. If you could give Duke a week off before the NCAA tournament started, and Duke will either do what it does, what it, it Duke will either go to the Final Four or not go to the Final Four based on how Duke plays. But I don't think it'll have anything to do with the layoff. And I don't think, um, I, I guess I would just bottom line it this way if I were the Big Ten and considering doing this again or not doing this again, the week layoff before the NCAA tournament would have no impact on, on my decision whatsoever. I don't think it matters. Um, I understand the scheduling, like, you know, trying to condense it and, and shove games into spots where they might not otherwise be there can be difficult, but it doesn't seem like it's that difficult. I mean, if these, if these schools go to, um, you know, neutral court events where they play on back to back three, you know, play three games in a row or, um, I mean, you know, it, well, they do that basically every, every prominent school in America does that at some point. So, if you can do that, why can't you shove in, you know, a couple games and maybe play four in a week, you know, in December? You start your league schedule early, and then you get to the same spot. I mean, it's just I don't think it's nearly as difficult as maybe it's been made out to be. Like, you know, the NBA plays back-to-backs. You know, college basketball will play back-to-backs in neutral court tournaments. The NCAA tournament, you play, you know, two games in three days. Um, they could figure that out if they wanted to. And so um, I do think – you know, I do think it's worth exploring. I also believe that I know Barclays is still New York City. I think there's something different about being at the Garden, Midtown Manhattan, than Barclays in Brooklyn. I mean, it's still New York, but I think um, I think something about the Garden in Midtown Manhattan is um, it, it's it's special, you know, and it, and it, it certainly added to um, I, I think the the players' experience. You know, even hearing John Beeline talk about it. He's like, this is a one of, in a lifetime opportunity. Like, well, you know, this is an all time great memory. That's a guy who's been to a Final Four, who's, you know, won a bazillion games, who's accomplished all sorts of things at all sorts of levels. And um, he was talking about it. Like, he was sort of in awe of the experience, which, which I, I thought was neat. As for the actual basketball, um, you know, it was Michigan, you know, marching through this thing. And I, I guess we could be surprised because they weren't the favorite. But, I mean, that's a team that's now top 10 at Ken Palm. It's you know, coached by one of the legitimately great coaches in, in the sport of basketball. Um, you know, it shouldn't be that surprising when you just take that into consideration. It's a top 10 team with a, you know, a, a, I'd say top 10 coach, but he might be top five. I mean, he's, he's legitimately great. Um, you know, I, I wasn't that surprised that Michigan was able to win the thing. No, I wasn't either. Uh, in the in the midst of the tournament, I will, you know, I'm I'm not gonna try and gloss over. When I'm wrong, I'm gonna let you know. <laughs> uh, I'd say two months ago, I wasn't convinced Michigan was gonna make the NCAA tournament. I thought they were capable. I didn't think they were for sure gonna miss it. I just thought. I remember thinking when they were in the middle of the of the Big Ten schedule, and I think it was after they had lost to Nebraska at the time when I didn't think Nebraska was gonna build itself into a, a potential bubble team. I thought. Mm, 
maybe this Michigan team might wind up fighting to get in. That wasn't the case. Um, since then, they only lost twice, and it was a four-point loss at Purdue, and it was a shocking loss uh, at a bad Northwestern team. But other than that, right now, they're, they're riding a nine-game win streak. I wrote after the semifinal win over Michigan State, that game was the best environment. Obviously, that huge rivalry, uh, Michigan beating Michigan State in the semis, was tremendous, um, and uh, and it was a sellout. It was the first sellout of a Big Ten session since 2014. So you Midwest fans who want your conference tournament to stick in Indy and Chicago, maybe try and buy up more tickets there because the Garden didn't have a, have a tough time doing that on Saturday or Sunday, yet that wasn't the case recently, and obviously I'm aware that it was in D.C. last year. Um, after that Michigan State win, I wrote about how this team defensively is by far it's by far the best ever that Beeline's had at Michigan, and it's still a good offensive team, but it's not the way that um, most of these other teams have been. Um, in fact, Beeline, even some of his teams that weren't as good as this one, uh, were much better on offense, and Mo Wagner is, is tremendous. Um, they're, they can still beat you occasionally uh, from outside in, and Wagner is very uh, very dynamic in what he can do as a 6'11 guy. He's going to get drafted. He made the right. In fact, I think he made the right decision to come back. He could have gone. He came back and improved his game. I think he improved his draft stock. Um, you always get a handful of those kind of guys every kind of, every year. Uh, you're tempted by the NBA, but you think you can build out your game. You want to stay in college. Wagner, Exhibit A, he's done great there. And uh, obviously Duncan Robinson's a really good uh, three-point shooter. Charles Matthews, the uh, Kentucky transfer, is develop. If he can get, if he can develop a three-point shot, I actually think he will be a draft pick as well. But defensively, this has been great. And what I, in talking with people at the Garden, you know, Beeline is so smart. He is aware of the personnel he has, the schemes he wants to run. Um, this doesn't happen by accident, but I think it might have been a little bit by happenstance. You know, the Big Ten is such a physical league, and perhaps Beeline saw the roster that he was getting. And in recruiting guys like Xavier Simpson, who was a great on-ball defender. I mean, really, really quality player. Isaiah Livers, who got hurt. Very good freshman off the bench defensively. It, there's no doubt about it. Matthews, obviously a really good defensive player. It is just a fun little plot twist here to Beeline's career, to Michigan in general. Because we are used to seeing a Michigan team that can beat you... Um, in pretty ways, like 82 to 74. Well, that's not really what's happening here. They have the sixth-ranked overall defense in the country. It was absolutely the reason they beat Michigan State and Purdue. Um, I was in and out during the Iowa game, so I saw the end of it, but that was almost a bizarre aberration. I mean, that was the toughest game they played in conference tournaments, Parish, as you well know, sometimes can go like that. It's funky the way you'll get a weird matchup, and that'll be the tough game, the one that you think that you're going to cruise past, and then you're more either because you got the game under your belt or you got that wake-up call, the better opponents you play, you're sometimes able to beat with a little more ease, or at least it would seem so. That was exactly the case with Michigan. Four wins in four days. The toughest game was the overtime session they had against a subpar Iowa team. But defensively, this team is really good, and a lot of it's just um, it's a lot of just ball-screen defense. It's not even the 1-3-1 that he ran at West Virginia. It doesn't really run that. So it's, uh, it's super impressive. I don't know if Michigan can climb to the three-line. They're absolutely going to be a four. I think they'll be a trendy final four pick, and that's with good reason because the other thing to point out here is that they still don't turn the ball over. They, you know, they are very reliable, and a lot of that's because they have veterans. But Simpson running the point is just he's he's been able to step in and replace Derek Walton and done a good job at doing it. So when they're when they're really good at stopping you, 
and, and containing you in, in the interior, and then they're not going to give away the ball. That's why particularly they're so dangerous. And then on top of all that, just from a scouting perspective, coaches still always have to account for Beeline's offense, and that's just that's always going to be part of it. It's why they, it makes them such a hard team to prep for, and then when you're actually playing them, you're seeing how tough this team actually is. Um, so Michigan's the big winner, obviously two straight Big Ten championships for them, and um, – I, I, everyone says, you don't want to play this team in your bracket. Sometimes we say that about like 19 teams with Michigan. It does really seem like the case right now. They are, they are operating on a, on a borderline top five level of any team in the country at the moment. I heard somebody on television say that over the weekend about some team. I can't remember. It's like an unranked team. And they were like, this is not the team you want to run into in your bracket. I'm like, yeah, I'd probably run into them. I'd be, I'd be, I don't want to run into Michigan with the way Michigan's playing. But uh, this other team, I can't remember who it was, but it was like Radford. It was, just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was so it wasn't there. I mean, it was I don't remember who it was. It was just like, no, I would be happy to run into this team. Um, that, they're, they're not the type that scares me. You, my point being, you're right. People say that all the time about everybody. I do think it's actually true about Michigan. And um, I thought the Matt Painter quote about Beeline was terrific and like the ultimate compliment. You had it in your column where Painter said you learn something every time you play them. Like the, like the idea that a, a guy who has been a co- as accomplished as Matt would would say that about another coach, I think, speaks to how, um, A, well, um, well respected John Beeline is by his peers, but also he's just he's damn good. I mean, when you are when you're a multimillion dollar college coach and you're learning something every time you play somebody else in your league because that guy's so good. I mean, that compliments don't come much better than that, do they? No, and it's very true. And if we really had to put pen to paper and list our, our top coaches in the country, um, I would be hard-pressed not to put Beeline in the top ten, given what he's accomplished, his reputation. Uh, again, we vouch for no man, but he won the poll. I mean, he is considered the one guy who, not just him, but his staff, If it, if your life depended on it, he does not cheat. And so the fact that he does that and wins it on acumen alone. And you brought this fact up to me. I told Borzell, our buddy Jeff Borzello on Press Row a couple of days ago, uh, kind of a quirky thing with Beeline. I don't know if this is true uh, of any other coach in Division One. Perhaps it is, but it's, it's very rare, particularly at this stage uh, uh, of college basketball. Beeline has only ever been a head coach. He never was an assistant at any level. He started as a head coach and has consistently uh, maintained that. And uh, with good reason, man, he is absolutely elite. And I think I would have to list him among the top 10 legitimately in all of the sport. And now, even though the Big Ten has been down all season and disappointing all season, if I told you you could take three teams from any league and, 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 and you could have them as final four picks, I mean, would you maybe take the Big Ten? You with would Michigan probably, State, yeah. Duke, Michigan. I mean, the other option would be ACC, Virginia, Duke, North Carolina. It's close, but I would still take the Big Ten first. I think I might too, which is remarkable. You know, like the problem with the Big Ten this year is that Minnesota was terrible, Northwestern was terrible, um, Indiana, which is you know supposed to be good, it's one of your big brands, terrible. Wisconsin, one of your big brands, terrible. Um, but at the top, it's still pretty good with the way Michigan's playing right now. Um, it might have the best chance. Big East with Villanova, Xavier, and whoever you want to pair with them. But, you know, there's, there's, only, there's a handful of leagues that got realistic chances to get multiple teams in the Final Four, and I would think that the Big Ten is on that list. Obviously, the Big East is on that list. They could have two number one seeds. ACC is going to be on that list. But the Big Ten is, is if even if we didn't think it was on that list three weeks ago, 
um, it appears to be on that list now with the way Purdue, Michigan State, and uh, and now Michigan are playing. There's a new way to get the latest scores, news, and highlights for college basketball and all of your favorite sports. If you haven't checked it out yet, go check it out. CBS Sports HQ, which is a brand new 24-7 streaming channel covering the biggest games, best plays, and crucial insights from around sports. You can stream it free anytime on the CBS Sports app for Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, on your phone or any other devices, or you can just watch it online at cbssportshq.com. That's cbssportshq.com. I'm on there all the time. We'll be on there within the next couple of hours. Matt Norlander is on there all the time. So check it out if you get a chance at cbssportshq online, cbssportshq.com. While you were at the Garden, Duke was coming from behind in the second half to beat North Carolina on Saturday night. They closed the regular season 25 and six. They are up to number three at Ken Palm, number two in offensive efficiency, number three in defensive efficiency, um, or, or I should say number 10 in defensive efficiency. So they're the only school in the top 10 uh, of both offensive and defensive efficiency right now. They've got six quadrant one wins and an ACC tournament title would probably give them nine. And I do think that – and I wrote about this on Sunday morning, and there was a little pushback, but I don't even think it's that controversial. Like if, if, if Duke wins the ACC tournament, finishes 28-6 and six with nine quadrant one wins, I think they're probably going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. You there with me? They, yeah, I think so because Villanova or Xavier might elbow each other off the one line. Right. Like, like if it still plays out and one of those two teams wins the Big East tournament – Virginia has it no matter what. They're the number one overall seed no matter what happens. And then Kansas wins the Big 12. Duke winning the ACC would probably be enough there, I think. And if that happens, um, that will mark the second straight year that Duke was able to do this. And I, I covered I covered it last year at Barclays, obviously. Um, and they got it together, man. I mean, they remember, they beat um, a solid, a solid, solid Louisville team in the tournament, ACC tournament, then beat North Carolina and then beat uh, a Notre Dame team that was that was pretty good as well. And lo and behold, they got knocked out by eventual Final Four team, South Carolina, uh, in Greenville uh, in the NCAA tournament. So we'll see. Um, GP, I, was, I caught this game, some of it, and Carolina was up like 12 or something. I was like, my straight up, I'm, I'm on fire. I'm, I'm going to get this. It's looking great. I'm telling you, this is why I'm not taking Duke to win the title. Carolina's going to win on the home floor. I turn around. Next thing I know, like Duke's tied the game. Like, I'm like, of course, of course, this happened. So I can't speak to what happened in the final five, six minutes of the game, and I don't need a play-by-play repeat. But it, did you see what happened there? I know Bagley played pretty well. Grayson Allen gets a gets a, a really terrific embrace from Mike Krzyzewski as he ends his uh, final game at Cameron Indoor with a victory. But for anyone else that might have missed it, how did Duke? Uh, able was able to uh, how were they able to come back and, and pull a game away from Carolina which looked really good for the first 25 30 minutes I mean they just flipped it I mean and it, it was there I mean that's the thing they've always been great offensively but now they're great defensively too so even when they weren't great offensively in the first half they only scored 25 points in the first 20 minutes um, they were still good enough defensively to hang around I mean they were down 10 at the half but they were you know you're still in that clearly and then they just ran off on them in the second half 49 second half points. So they scored 25 in the first half and nearly twice as much in the second half. Bagley got going and looked like the most dominant college basketball player in the country. You know, I'm not saying that's what he is, um, but I'm saying that is he might be, by the way, 
but he was named the ACC Player of the Year over the weekend. Um, but he looked like, oh wow, this is the uh, this is the guy I would take number one. Now there are times when DeAndre Ayton looks the same way. You know, you go, oh, uh, that's why I would take DeAndre Ayton number one in the NBA draft. But Bagley really got going and uh, finished with 21 points, 15 rebounds. It's something we've talked about with him for a long time, going back to. You know, his his summer circuit days, you know, in EYBL down at Peach Jam or wherever it was, we would see him. He's such a quick jumper like he the second jumps and the third jumps. He just goes and gets balls because he's just he's naturally better. He's just physically gifted in, 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 in ways that most humans aren't. And it really showed up in the in the second half of that game. Roy Williams afterward just said, I didn't recognize my team in the second half. And and that's fair. But a lot of that had, you know, it had had to do with Duke and then the building, you know, that I don't care how many times you've been in that place when it gets rolling like that. I mean, when it's loud and Duke's making shots and Bagley's getting stick back dunks, um, that building can overwhelm you the same way Allen Fieldhouse can overwhelm people. And so I just thought it it just piled up on on Duke and I mean, on Carolina in a variety of ways. And, you know, they they. They've done this a few times this season, not as consistently as anybody would have liked, and certainly not early on as much as anybody would have liked. But they had these moments where you go, "Man, I don't see how anybody can beat them," uh, you know, because they're they're not only great offensively, they're more talented than you at almost every position, if not every position. I mean, future NBA players, uh, you know, they can roll five out there at a time, and when you get guys like that. You know, playing well on both ends of the court, playing hard on both ends of the court, um, and and they're making shots. I mean, forget about it. I, I've said this for a while now. I, I think Villanova is probably safer than Duke in the sense that you you usually know what you're going to get from them. But at its best, and I'd be curious if you agree with this or disagree with this. At its best, when it's playing as well as it can play. I don't think anybody in the country is better than Duke. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. All right, I have two quick notes here on, on just Duke and Carolina. With Duke, I, I am asking you and the listeners to hold me accountable. I am not going to take this team to win the national title. They are at their best, absolutely. Now, I understand that these were road games, but they, this is also a team that, that lost um, to Boston College, and that was a convincing loss, a convincing loss to North Carolina State, um, and a, a baffling loss to St. John's. And I understand that St. John's became the best team in the country for about a nine-day span there overall. And then they were kind of lackluster uh, when they dropped the game to Virginia Tech. But they can, yeah, they can boomerang on you and look dominant um, hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I, I get that, you know, it's going to be Duke. You know, obviously Duke is Duke. And uh, they're going to get a lot of picks for winning the national championship. I just will not go there this season with that team with so many super talented but freshman players on the team. Carolina, real quick, GP, just as, just as like a heads up here. We'll see what they do in the league tournament, okay? But, you know, they got the home loss to Wofford. Um, what, they've, they've got a home loss to NC State, a home loss to NC State. Um and just, you know, we don't know if Florida State's going to get in for sure. You know, that's that they could, they could not, you know, we'll see. If they don't do well in the uh, ACC tournament, I, I understand they've got some really nice quadrant one wins and performance and all that. Like, they do have a lot there, but there's some on the other end. UNC fans, just just be aware and be prepared. Your team might be on a seed line lower, maybe even two, if they were to drop their first game than you would expect because uh, if they don't win the tournament, they'll have 10 losses overall. They're still going to be fine, relatively speaking. But, man, if they had won at Duke 
and say gotten to even like the semifinals and the, and the league tournament, I just think that would have been a huge difference in where they wind up in the one to sixty eight list for the committee. They don't get it there, so just keep that in mind. The, uh, that'll be canceled out if they win the ACC tournament. They'll have so many more good wins, but just you know, just keep keep that in mind here. I think people think Carolina's a bit stronger in the overall hierarchy than maybe potentially they they might wind up being on Selection Sunday. Uh, so Duke Carolina was Saturday night. Then on Sunday afternoon, we had Cincinnati at Wichita State in a game that was going to decide the AAC regular season title because Cincinnati entered with a one game lead. That means uh, Cincinnati wins the outright champs. Wichita State wins. We got co-champion. Cincinnati wins a close game uh, when Connor Frankamp misses in the final seconds. And so Cincinnati moves to 27 and four overall. They are your outright AAC champions. And their body of work is interesting the way it breaks down. They are 3-4 and four against top 50 Ken Palm teams and 24-0 and 0 against everybody else. In this season where we've watched, as you mentioned, Carolina lose to Wofford, Duke lose to Boston College, Purdue lose to Western Kentucky, um, you know, Villanova lose to St. John's, Duke lose to St. John's. In this season where we've seen legitimate top 10 teams lose to grossly inferior teams fairly regularly, more more so than usual. Um, Cincinnati has been the opposite of that. I mean, if you're know, if you not good, you don't beat them. And it, it does seem to suggest that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they can go to a Final Four because they might not be good enough to do that. Again, they're three and four against the top 50. But every year, somebody is at risk of a 314 upset or a 215 upset. And that's going to be in the range where Cincinnati is seeded, 2C, 3C. And you can just, I think, feel pretty comfortable with that. They are not going to be at risk of that, if only because, again, they've played 31 games at this point, and they have not lost to a team outside of Kimpom's top 25 all season long. Yeah. Um, all right, my thoughts on, on – I saw the whole game, and uh, – Great on Cincinnati to, to split the season series. I mean, Wichita State got a great win. Uh, not in Cincy's home arena, in Northern Kentucky's home arena. Um, and and for Cincinnati to come back play the way – Wichita State had terrible two final possessions. That was brutal. Um, it winds up costing them the game, costing them a seed line for sure, and obviously a conference championship. It's it's interesting you bring, you bring up what they've done against the bad competition. I sat down for about a half hour with Bruce Rasmussen at the Garden, the selection committee chair for this year, and that story will potentially be up by the time some people listen to this. If not, it's coming soon. And one of the things he said, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the, the quotes right in front of me, but he was saying, you know, we don't give enough credit sometimes within the committee and within the general public to the teams that beat every single team they're supposed to beat. There is not one off night. You know, we understand that if you're playing a bad team, you know, in an individual basis, like one game, uh, and you beat them, that it, it's like, why'd you even play that game? But when you look across and you've played 10, 12, 14 games on your schedule and you have not slipped up once, uh, teams do deserve credit for that. I think Cincinnati, if it makes the American title game, is going to be locked on the two line. If it loses before that, given its record against the best competition it's had, wouldn't shock me if it went to a three overall. It's a really good defensive team. I tweeted sentiments about uh, Mick Cronin, I think, on Sunday. Um, he is gone. He 
has done a great job there. Cincinnati's going to make its eighth straight NCAA tournament. That's like the fourth longest streak of anyone in college basketball at this point. And there is something to be said for downright consistency, even if in some years his non-conference schedule has been, frankly, not up to Cincinnati standards for that program. But going to go to another tournament and have his best seed yet as the coach. He knows this. We, I've talked to Mick about this. He knows, though, the reason why we don't talk more about Cincinnati and doesn't get more national respect is, one, it doesn't land top 75 recruits. So you're just not going to get buzz in the offseason. Two, you don't play enough non-conference uh, games that are of high profile to get people talking about you in November and December. Three, the most important thing, not enough NCAA tournament success. And then by that, I mean second weekend. He's only gone to the Sweet 16 once with Cincinnati. That was six years ago. It's his best run and his only run to the Sweet 16. This team is good enough to make the Final Four. He doesn't need to make the Final Four to... I guess, boost Cincinnati's overall profile. But he needs to get to the second weekend and ideally an Elite Eight just to kind of to get more people talking like, hey, man, look at Mick Cronin. He's been there more than a decade. Cincinnati gets to the tournament every year. Here are these guys, Gary Clark, borderline All-American kind of guy. That's the kind of performance they're going to need. And until that happens, they're just simply going to be one of the 25 best programs in America, albeit one that just sporadically gets attention. Right or wrong, that's what it is, and Mick knows it. Yeah, and... and uh, when it comes to a coaching career, you're almost better off like going to an elite eight, then missing the tournament, then going to a sweet 16, then going to a first round, then missing the tournament, then getting into a final four. Like the big runs are what like really get you on people's radar. Just consistently being good. Um, people tend to start to take that for granted. Um, and I, it's something I preached about a lot. Um, you know, as it relates to the Memphis program where I, I host a radio show, you know, when Josh Pastner had it going to four straight NCAA tournaments, you know, people were like, this is sucks. This isn't worth anything. Like they really w- – I know he never got fired and didn't get run out until after he missed it twice. But like Memphis fans wanted to change coaches right after he went to a four straight NCAA tournament and did not go to the Sweet 16. Like if you if you told him right now, hey, you can, you can trade coaches if you want, they would have said, yes, let's do that. Um and I, one of the things I always said is like, hey, I hear you because with as much talents in the program, you probably should be going deeper in the NCAA tournament. But don't take just NCAA tournament appearances for granted. Like it's not a birthright. Um, you don't just get to go every year because you are named Memphis or you're named Pitt. Same thing with Jamie Dixon. When Pitt fans would get frustrated with just going to the NCAA tournament, not enough Sweet 16s, Elite 8s, Final 4s, all that stuff. I said, you know what? Like – Everybody always thinks their next coach is going to be great, better, and it doesn't always work that way. And so I know that Cincinnati fans want more in terms of tournament success than what they've been getting. But, you know, Mick is now what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about to go to the eighth straight NCAA tournament. That's not easy to do. Um, and it's, a, it's especially not easy to do when you're playing in a league against programs that do recruit, at least traditionally top 100 guys, top 75 guys, and you maybe aren't doing it as often as they are, and you're still consistently operating at the top of the league, consistently going to the NCAA tournament. He's done an an unbelievable job there, and I hope Cincinnati fans, no matter what happens in this NCAA tournament, I hope they understand that and appreciate that. I get the sense that they they do. Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring right now, uh, just posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it, that is not going to work. ZipRecruiter, uh, they knew there would be a smarter way to go about it. And so what they did was build a, 
uh, a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. And these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate uh, through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, listeners of the Ion College Basketball Podcast can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. That's E-Y-E-O-N. E-Y-E-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Before we get out of here, I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to all one bid leagues that I disparaged on last uh, Friday's co- podcast because uh, that Radford win was something else this weekend, wasn't it? This is why you got to give love to the small schools. And like, honestly, in all seriousness, ribbing aside, which I could easily go five minutes on you here, GP. Um, this week is, has just so much fun to it. Uh, it doesn't quite match the NCAA tournament, in my opinion, but you get more basketball games and you get more opportunities for buzzer beaters and you get the thrill of Radford playing on its home floor. So there are actual benefits to championship week from the small leagues that the NCAA tournament can't quite match. And l- listen, that was just awesome. That was that our- awesome. The Radford thing was awesome. I, I, by the way, I'm learning that there are like four teams nicknamed the Highlanders in D1, and I and I just I didn't realize there were so many, but they are one of them. Mike, who Mike Jones coaches this team. They get the win at the buzzer. It was a brutal possession, but uh, Carleek Jones hits it. And what they, do you mean brutal possession? Just going to dribble it, dribble it, and pull it on them. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a great possession. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, that that can that can occasionally work out. Asked uh, Ask Yvon Carter how that worked out for him in the tournament last year against Gonzaga. It can be sometimes. He took like, but he took like eleven shots. He did. It was it was rough. He's got a, he's got a tone for that this year. He took eleven shots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me let me say something real quick. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, because I was getting hit all weekend from people like, hey, you know you know what we hate? We hate your stupid ass top twenty five and one. We love the one big leagues. Go after yourself, Parish. And so uh, here's the truth. Um, I had just spent nine minutes talking about Michael Porter. I thought eloquently, and then Norlander s on it and said, "I got to go to basketball games." But before we do, let's talk about some one bid leagues, uh, about some games where we don't even know who's actually going to be playing each other. And so I was taking out my anger directed at Norlander on the one bid leagues, <laughs> and I should not have done that because here's the truth: like that Radford, the, the, the high stakes basketball is high stakes basketball, and um, when you put two teams in, that's as high stakes as it gets. For instance, we watched Michigan-Purdue yesterday Big Ten Tournament championship game, and that was fun, but, like, it wasn't high stakes. I mean, that was in the sense that one team gets to cut nets, the other doesn't. One team gets a trophy, the other doesn't. One guy's Wikipedia page gets updated, the other one not so much. But it wasn't high stakes. It wasn't win or you're, or you're not in the NCAA tournament. And yet with these one-bit leagues, it very much is that. And so when you've got – you know, Radford, you know, single, like last possession, dribbling out the clock. If they score somehow on this possession, they are going to the NCAA tournament. If not, they got to go to overtime and they might not. Like that, what's, what is more high stakes than that? And so I actually do love the games um, as, as when we get to them. 
uh, I was just mad at Norlander and I didn't understand the point of talking about games that um, we didn't even know who were going to be playing in them yet. No, it's okay, man. I love you regardless. And uh, I like occasional friction on the podcast here. I actually think the listeners do as well. Uh, with that said, let me just real quick remind people who's in the tournament. We have five bids as of now. How about the Lisk- Lipscomb Bisons? And yes, Shout that is bison. that is plural Shocking, Joe Dooley in Dunk City. That Florida Gulf team was uh, Gulf Coast team was the best team in the A Sun this season. Couldn't get it done on its home floor. Lipscomb, first tournament bid in school history. I believe that's the case. Um, they're in. Radford's in. Michigan obviously gets the auto bid out of the Big Ten. Loyola, the the Led Zeppelin puns are coming fast and heavy from me in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Shout out to Porter Moser and getting that program to the tournament. It's worth mentioning that. It's a really, really good team, and we don't know what would have happened if Wichita State hadn't left the league. But now for that conference, you get a, just a, a different flavor here, someone else to get into the league. And Loyola, I think, is going to be on the 12 line in a trendy pick. They won at Florida. They went into the O-Dome. Woo! And they got it done earlier this season. Florida keeps winning. That win keeps helping their case. I think Loyola, the Ramblers, are going to be a, a 12 First bid since 1985. It's why I love this week is you get these schools that have either never been there or it's been decades. I mean, Paris was like 19 the last time Loyola made the NCAA tournament. It's incredible. And then the last team that's in as of now, Murray State. They got dudes. Mac McMahon is the latest. Mick and we talk about him. He used to be at Murray State. They've had a lot of good coaches go through there, get to the NCAA tournament. McMahon. Yep, absolutely. McMahon's done that now. So those are the five. Monday night, the Mac. Iona goes against... The school that's practically in my backyard, Fairfield University, Sidney Johnson, the sixth seed. That'd be a, a hell of a story if they were able to break through. That's the only auto bid on the table for Monday. And then there are true for Monday. Oh, is there another one? What do we have? Another one. What the am I missing? Southern Conference. Oh, the SoCon. Okay, I thought the SoCon was Tuesday. Okay, so we got C State against UNC Greensboro. The only reason why Parrish knows this is because that Forbes is coaching in the game. Forbes trying to go to back-to-back NCAA tournaments. I mean, they're gonna, let's let's make our predictions right now. Let's let's get all in on the mid-major love here. I'm gonna take. You know what? I'm gonna take Fairfield. I'm gonna take Fairfield to win that game. They're the underdog. Did you forget about Tim Clouse? You can't keep Tim Clouse out of the NCAA tournament. Are you out of your mind? Well, How are you keeping him out of the NCAA tournament? Been to uh, I think he's been to two straight and four of the past six. He's done a great job there. Fairfield's in my backyard. I'm going a total homer pick. You're obviously going with the Gales. We're yes. gonna be we are gonna be on the same page though with the Bucks. Cause how can you not? Forbes, by the way, this team was not like he's a really, really good coach. They were not supposed to be this good, and yet here they are again knocking on the door. They play a good Greensboro team, but I have to take East Tennessee State to get the SoCon auto bid. I can't. They, now they struggled at the end of the regular season. ETSU did, but um, obviously have started playing better in this event because here they are in the championship game. And I think they're one point favorites. I can't even hit them with a straight up. But yeah, I can't pick against Forbes. That'd be I'd, I'd, I'd feel wrong doing that. So uh, uh, yeah, Steve Forbes and in, uh, in the NCAA tournament for the second straight year, and then wait to see what job offers he gets a little later on this month. Yeah. You make a great point okay. before we get out of here about the Missouri Valley Conference because obviously. You know, you do not want to lose Wichita State um, as a, you know, just from a from the league perspective. That's the biggest brand you got by a wide margin. You know, losing them so soon after you just lost Creighton as well. Like it, it really it puts your league in a in a different place. But every coach in that league had to love Wichita State getting out of there because it, you know, you're probably in a one bid league. It's a little bit like the WCC. You know, like I had somebody say. 
go look up how many WCC coaches actually get out of there alive. Like it's it's like if you're basically Mark in a Fuse one or two good league, yeah, and yeah. and that league's got Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's at the top, how are you ever cracking it? Like it's almost it's almost impossible to crack. And the NBC with with Wichita was getting getting that way because it wasn't just Greg Marshall's awesome. They were starting to recruit at a different level as well. You know, Frank Camp's a top 100 guy, McDuffie top 100 guy, and so you know, you, if you're loyal to Chicago, like. Okay, we're in a one bid league with Wichita State. What are we ever doing? Um, you you might never get there, um, but you move Wichita State out of the way and say, hey, still somebody's got to go. It just opens things up for everybody in that league. And so, um, again, bad for the league, but great for the coaches in that league to get Wichita out of there. And now Loyola, which is legitimately good, I don't mean to suggest Loyola would have had no chance if Wichita was still in the league. Um, clearly they would have, but I think you get my larger point. I do. And just to give uh, listeners a heads up, five more auto bits Tuesday before we do our next podcast on Wednesday, you will have the Colonial. The, the semis still have to be decided on Monday night. Same is true of the Horizon League. Then you got the NEC. Wagner will host with a chance to get the auto bid there. I think they'll get it done. Uh, then you've got the Summit. Mike Down, potentially, to go to state those Jackrabbits. I love the Jackrabbits. They'd be a great uh, – listen, we'll see who gets in. South Dakota's got a good shot, I think, of, of stealing that bid there. But uh, but the tournament would be a lot of fun when you got a dude like Mike Dom in the tournament. And then, obviously, the West Coast Conference, which used to hold its championship on Monday night. They bumped it back a day. The semis are Monday. The title game will be Tuesday, uh, and that's that's going to be a, a late tip. But you keep an eye on that because you see if anyone can, can steal the bid – and I don't know if St. Mary's will have to steal the bid. They'll probably be okay if they get to the final. But uh, by the next, by, by the time we podcast next, we'll have seven more teams into the field, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. And we will. This is only going to be a short break for listeners because we definitely will be podcasting on Wednesday. I'll tell you this: if I'm if if I'm St. Mary's and I lose, I, I mean, if I lose to anybody other than Gonzaga, I'm I'm real nervous. There's not much there on that resume. They almost got picked off the other night by what Pepperdine. It was bad. They like they almost lost. They won by three. You're right. They play BYU in the semis. Uh, it's they're going to be an interesting case if they don't win that game. You're right. And I and I like I've said before, and we've talked about before. I don't feel sorry for them. You know, when you don't when you don't even try to schedule outside of your league, particularly when you're supposed to be good and you're in a league like the WCC, then you get what you get. And so um, if if they get picked off by BYU in the semis, they. They got real problems because when you start looking at that resume and you go, okay, what have you done? You beat Gonzaga. What else have you done? There's not, there's not much there. But uh, we could talk about that as, uh, as need be if the Gales uh, take a loss that they're not supposed to take. Uh, in the meantime, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably, please. Five stars with nice comments. You guys have been terrific about that. Um, if I don't thank you enough, I apologize for that. Um, because we do appreciate you it. You literally so thank them on every podcast, Parish. but go ahead. I know, but sometimes I feel like I should thank them at the beginning and at the end. <laughs> kind of like if we're on a date or something. Yeah, man, sure. <laughs> so thank you, and shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to when Terry. have you ever gone on a date at the start of it and been like, thanks for going on this date with me? That's a really weird thing to say. You think that's weird to say? Like in, in, in the in the same kind of tone that you're thanking the listeners, okay. yeah, that's okay. that's probably a scare tactic more than okay. anything. Okay, go pick somebody up, 
You go pick somebody up. You settle hey, in a restaurant. Yeah, thanks for doing this. You're really helping me out. <laughs> you go you go pick somebody up. You settle down at a restaurant. And as you order drinks and appetizers, you say, hey, uh, just uh, really appreciate you uh, coming out tonight. Uh, can, you you know, this, this, uh, can you rate this five stars for me? Yeah, could you rate this date five stars for me? You have not gone on a non-marriage date in a very long time, my friend. <laughs> I think that's probably true. We'll talk again Wednesday. Till then, take care.